Well, we'll praise God for the answers to the, un- the request I didn't make that God would turn it back on. So I think we've got it working. All right, very good. Hope you'll join with me now in Romans chapter 12 as we continue to work our way through Paul's letter to the Romans, the believers in Jesus in the city of Rome back in the first century, within a generation after Christ himself was crucified, rose again, ascended, and this message to these early believers is a message for us today. So I hope you'll have your Bible open to Romans 12. This uh, past Thursday was my dad's birthday, and so that meant, of course, the week before I was on a quest for his birthday gift. Now, my dad has reached the age where he says things like, you don't need to get me anything, I don't need any more stuff, I have everything I need, but he's my dad. I mean, I'll never be able to come close to to giving him what he's given to me, so I say things like, well, dad, we're not going to give you nothing, uh, but, you know, what do you get for the man who has everything, right? Uh, we usually send up sending a gift card for a restaurant or a car wash or something like that. What well, what do you what do you give the God who has everything? At the end of Romans 11, Paul concludes his survey of salvation, God's plan to redeem a people for himself out of all peoples through faith in Christ who bore our sins as a perfect sacrifice so we could be forgiven, set free from slavery to sin be included in God's family with the promise of a a glorious future in his forever family. Look at all that God has done for us. We, We never could have conceived it, let alone accomplish it. It was all his wisdom and power. It was all his mercy and grace. He doesn't need our advice, our permission. He doesn't need our help. It's all God. He's God. And so what do, you, what do you give to the one who has everything, who needs nothing, and has done so much for us? To put it more pointedly, there's the, the theme for the sermon today. What is your personal, practical response to God's great grace? That's a question we should feel this morning, and it's going to be answered here in our text. After all that God's done for us, it wouldn't be okay to give him nothing. What about everything? We're homing in on just two verses this morning, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But I'm going to start back, the the reading back in chapter 11, back at verse 30. And that's kind of jumping in the middle a bit, but Romans 11, 30, we need to hear this to set up those first two verses of Romans 12. Romans 11, 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too, Israel, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him 
and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word for us today. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are words worth knowing, verses worth memorizing. I would encourage you to do that. I encourage you to write them down on a a three-by-five card or put it on your phone somehow. Put it on on the lock screen. You see it every time that you turn on your phone. That would be helpful. Uh, But worth knowing, worth memorizing. We're going to break these two verses down into four parts. Working our way through the, uh, the outlines on the screen. It's also on the back of the worship folder. So part one, the mercies of God. Consider all that God has given you in salvation. When Paul addresses his, the, his readers as brothers, of course, he's using the term generically for the church as a whole, men and women who have been adopted into God's family, or as we saw last week in chapter 11, who have been grafted into the tree of God's chosen people, both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus, brought together as one, brothers. And going by the rest of the verse, Paul's appeal is not specific to that particular congregation in Rome, Back then, he could just as easily be writing this to us, brothers and sisters in Christ in Mount Morris. He's, he's trying to be as personal and persuasive as possible. Brothers, he's urging us, pleading with us to do what he says out of the relationship that we share in Christ by the mercies of God. Brothers, sisters. And now, it's all based on the mercies of God, which is why I went back to read Verses, or chapter 11, 30 to 32. Paul says the, God's entire plan of salvation is meant to, show, to showcase his mercy, is meant to show his mercy, to give his mercy to people, to sinners like us. As we said last week, no one of us can claim to have a special in with God, some kind of elite status where, whereby we move to the front of the line because we were better than you know, those people, whoever they are. No, you and I and everyone else, we are just a sinner saved by the mercy of God, His kindness to us, His grace to us when we were helpless and undeserving. So the question here this morning is, are you, are you moved by His mercy? If not, why not? Why, why might that be if God's mercy doesn't move you, doesn't compel you? Maybe it's because you've never received God's mercy. I mean, that's a possibility. If you've never recognized your own sin and your own need of a Savior, then of course God's mercy means nothing to you. I can only hope that you hear enough of it today and what we've already sung and what we're going to be talking about that that you want it for yourself. But this is really directed to believers, and, and some believers, sadly, are not all that different than the unbeliever who doesn't, who doesn't have God's mercy and therefore doesn't prize God's mercy, is not moved by God's mercy. Some believers are not much different. They think of the gospel as little more than a, a formula 
to get personal salvation. You know, say the right words, do the right things, and God will, you know, get you out of hell. God will bless you. But here's the thing, you will never, you will never feel gratitude if you don't see your life as a gift. You'll never feel, feel gratitude if you never see life as a gift. Or, or flip that around, Sa- other side of the same coin. You will always feel bitter if you think God owes you. Like, God, do you see what I'm doing down here? Come on. You, you should be uh, throwing me a little bit more, you know, blessing. The problem uh, is then, so for some believers, not understanding mercy the, the problem may be that others lose, we, we understand, we get it, maybe we've felt it in the past, maybe we've been moved by God's mercy in the past, but we've kind of let it recede into the background. We, we've we've kind of gotten away from that. I mean, this is why when we gather every week, when, when Logan and I specifically plan what we're going to do, this kind of songs we're going to sing, the, the kind of prayers we're going to say, the, the word that we're going to open up, we're planning intentionally to exalt the God of grace who, who brings good news to us in Jesus Christ of our salvation, the mercies of God. We want to celebrate that, rehearse that, review that, put that in front of us again week by week. Some churches, if they, they celebrate or promote anything, it might be the, the, their pastor is some sort of you know, celebrity or, or maybe it's their political or social agenda, whether conservative or liberal. Or it's just a nice place to uh, enjoy the company of people that are just like you. That's not, that's not rehearsing and reviewing and celebrating the gospel in such a way that God's mercy moves us. This is what we are called to do when we celebrate the mercies of God in a way that is compelling, we pray inspiring, transforming, motivating. It has to be a gathering. This gathering has to be people who are continuing continually stunned by the mercy of God. How can we approach the throne of God except by his mercy? How can we come together as rich, poor, black, white, male, female, young, and old? We only find this supernatural unity in divine mercy. But I don't want to limit that to just the gathered church, what we do on Sunday morning. This should be true of your everyday life as a believer. Don't neglect the gospel, or any of God's other expressions of mercy. Notice Paul says the mercies of God. That, that plural is doing a couple of things, I think, at least. It keeps us from just thinking of the mercy of God as, well, some sort of divine attribute. Like, well, yeah, he's got, he's, he's mercy, and he is holy, and he is eternal, and he is omniscient. You know, uh, based on the, the omniscience of God, it's, it's just some characteristic of God He's not focusing on mercy as a characteristic of God, an attribute, we might say. He is talking about the mercies, and this is the other thing this plural is doing. It gets us to think of multiple, specific, tangible experiences of God's mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So yes, it is the mercy of God that God has shown to you in our salvation, in your salvation, but there are mercies daily. It's not even just a one-time mercy that he's shown you. There are daily mercies that he shows to you. So every day, remember God's mercy to you in your salvation through Christ. Every day, look for little reminders, 
little breadcrumbs on the trail that lead you back to His mercy, whether it's the, the sun coming up in the morning, whether it's the, the vegetables you're getting out of your garden, the smiles of your children or grandchildren, there are no random acts of kindness with God. No, every one is intended for you and intended to show you His covenant faithfulness, his, love, his steadfast love to you as His people, His great mercy in salvation and countless mercies of God every day. Believer, consider all that God has given you in your salvation, and that should move us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is part two. Present your bodies. Give all that you are to God as an act of worship. Give all that you are. He's, consider all that he's given you. Now, give all that you are to God as an act of worship. The latter part of this first verse is just saturated with language that has to do with the sacrificial system that we uh, see in the Old Testament, which goes to show um, that the, the tree of God's covenant people that we saw in chapter 11, the tree that includes both Jew and Gentile believers in Jesus, is both profoundly new and yet still has the same Jewish roots. It's, it's new in the sense that being fulfilled in Christ, we, do, we don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to offer a lamb for our sins. God himself has provided the perfect lamb, Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, paid the price for our sins so that we could be redeemed. And now, no other sacrifice is necessary for our salvation. That's, that's, that whole sentence is really important. And now, no other sacrifice is necessary for our salvation. No one but Jesus could pay for your sins, but we still come before God with a sacrifice, an offering of worship, not a payment for our sins, but an offering of worship, a gift to give him his due, and it is our very lives. So if you thought that your salvation was just about, you know, clearing your, the sin record held against you so that you can pass final judgment and therefore escape final condemnation in hell and, and, and get into the heavenly kingdom, well, that's, that's justification. That's a crucial, central part of your salvation. But, but if you think that's it, that's all as he's doing, then frankly, this verse doesn't make sense or the rest of this letter. Even some things that he's already said, because Paul already told us in Romans 6, I know that's a long time ago in this series, but Romans 6, he says, you were set free from sin, yes, but not so that you could do your own thing. You're free. Go. Live your life like you want to. He did not set us free to be independent of him. You were bought with a price to be set free from sin and to belong to another master, another Lord, another Savior. To belong to God. Or as 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, I could go on a, a, a whole rabbit trail here because, you know, Paul has in Romans said, you're a sacrifice. 
In 1 Corinthians, he's saying, your body is a temple. Well, how can we be both the temple and the sacrifice? Well, it's all dedicated to God. It's got the place where God dwells. It's the gift that God is due. That's, you are all that. Glorify God in your body. So imagine yourself, though, let's, let's try to get the, the framing of this by going back, imagining yourself as an ordinary Israelite coming to the tabernacle, coming to the temple, and bringing perhaps a, a goat or a young calf, a lamb, and uh, a year old. You've been raising that animal for a whole year. You've been observing your entire flock or herd, and you've noticed this particular one. This, this is Oh, this is, this is exactly what you're hoping for when you're raising that, when, when, when spring comes and you're getting the, the new little ones. This was, this was a, beautiful, a beautiful lamb. It's perfect. It's what you want. This is the, the kind of healthy, strong, big animal that it's growing into. This, is, this animal represents your hard work. It's part of your assets. It's your livelihood in ways that our farmers here understand, but most of us don't really, really get. This is, and when you bring that animal to the temple as a sacrifice, you know, you know it is going to be consumed on the altar. Blood shed, life given, and all up and smoke. You came with something, and in a very real sense, you leave with nothing, because you gave it to God completely, in recognition that everything you have, all of the rest of your flock and herd that's still at home, every, he, he gave you everything, and you are giving just a portion, just, uh, albeit the best, you're giving it back to him. You're, you're walking away from it. This is consumed. It is just like the smoke rises to heaven. So it is something as a gift. It's offered as a gift given to God and you walk away. It is consumed. It is his. In a similar way, though not without traveling to a temple somewhere, a believer is to bring himself, herself, so to speak, to the altar present your life and all that you are capable of, your skill, your strength, your creativity, your ingenuity, the abilities that you have that he has given you and give it back to God. Now, here's the paradox. We are to be a living sacrifice. This is, of course, uh, where in some sense the sacrifice is to picture us giving it away completely, that we bring everything, we put it there, and it's consumed utterly, and it's just gone. It's a gift to God. I don't have that anymore. Here, to be a living sacrifice, can you, can you hold this picture together? As a sacrifice, you are completely given over to God, completely consumed. There's nothing that's yours anymore. You don't say, well, this is, well, but this is my relationship. Oh, but, but this is my family. This is, this is my career. This is, this is my retirement, God. Uh, thank you, but this is mine now. As a living, a living sacrifice, everything you do, whether it's in the kitchen or the garage, whether it's at the office or the factory, whether it's on the soccer field or on the stage of your musical, everything you do is as one whose life has been left on the altar. 
You don't stay there. You don't stay, in one sense, as a living sacrifice. You don't stay on the altar. You go to all these places. You do all these things. Yes, you go back home. And you live your life. But, it's, but your life has been left on the altar. It's given to God. God, this is for you. I am yours. And as such, to get back to the words of Romans 12.1, as such, you are holy. Holy in the sense of completely set apart for his service, for his will. Completely set apart, completely devoted to God. And, and the beautiful thing is, now, anything, uh, anything less than that, I should say, would be unacceptable. You are acceptable to him. Anything less than, than your best would be unacceptable. Not a part of you, certainly not the parts that you don't really want, not the scraps of your leftover time or your talents or your treasure. Like, God, this is what I, I you know, I've got my agenda, the things that I want to do, my dreams. I'm going to do this, and then if, I, if there's anything left over, I'll give that to you. That's not what he wants. That is not acceptable in his sight. This is to be your spiritual worship. Now, maybe you, in the ESV, if you're looking at that, you see the footnote that says, or uh, that, that phrase, spiritual worship, could be translated as your rational service. Or maybe you remember the, the old King James, your reasonable service. Uh, and now, you know, how, how, does, how does all that come from the same phrase? Well, th- this, that worship service word is specific to the work of the priesthood. It was more than the, the, what you know, we've called in the last generation the worship experience or the worship celebration. There was real work involved. There was, and it was a, a privileged role to be in, to, to labor in the worship of God, to, to serve Him in the, yes, work of worship. You are a servant of God. That was a privileged place to be. And it's spiritual, your spiritual worship, spiritual service in the sense that it's not, you're not offering a literal sacrifice. Again, we're no no blood involved but the blood of Christ. Um, we're not offering ourselves in some kind of uh, self-immolation. Uh, to, we're we're going to offer ourselves to God in some suicide mission. It's, it's a spiritual worship, and yet it's not purely mental either. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's the completely sensible, it's the perfectly logical, appropriate response. That's the sense in, in which it is your reasonable or rational service completely sensible, perfectly logical, logical, appropriate response to who God is and what He's done for you. He doesn't need anything, but He deserves nothing less than everything. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Now, I want to point out one more thing before we move on from, from this verse. I wonder if it speaks to you this morning to hear that your life can be an acceptable offering to God. For all the ways that the gospel has to tell us the bad news, that apart from Christ as a sinner, uh, we are not acceptable to God. We cannot be uh, found righteous. We, are, we'll, we will be found guilty before the great judge. For all the ways that we cannot, are not acceptable before God, apart from Christ, hear this, in Christ, our lives can be an acceptable, pleasing offering to God. We are no longer condemned, but justified. But to take it a step further, in Christ, you are accepted. You are approved. You are affirmed. Not in some, stroking your self-esteem, but to say what Christ 
has done for you and who Christ has now made you, you are welcomed and received and you, you're pleasing in his sight when you are in Christ and walking in his ways. In Christ, you have something to offer God and he wants it from you. As Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says, through him, speaking of Jesus, through Jesus, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for with such sacrifices, uh, for such sacrifices, excuse me, are pleasing to God. Uh, I could preach a sermon on that, that, those passages. A sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of, of doing good to your, to your neighbor. Share, do good and share with what you have for with such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What you do with your life, your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, even what you do in serving others when offered as a gift to God is pleasing to God. But the next verse tells us it's not just about the body, but it's also the mind. So verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We'll just take that first part for now. This is part three. We, we saw present your bodies. Here's the renewal of your mind. Resist the world and receive new life from God. Now, the wor- word here that is translated as conform, it's, it's where we get our English word a scheme, or uh, as in a particular arrangement, or a schematic, like an architect or an engineer uh, might draw up plans, which is why some other English translations have this as, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Or in one looser paraphrase, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That, that really captures the dynamic, right? Because in one sense, the, the verbs here are both passive and active. What I mean by that, they're, okay, there's something outside of you that's trying to shape you. Don't be conformed to this world. Something's trying to conform you. Something's trying to shape you, but we also have to be active. Don't be conformed. Don't let that happen. So yet another footnote here, if you're looking at the English Standard Version, it, it could be translated this uh, more literally as do not be conformed to this age, which is to say, There are ways of thinking, beliefs, values, priorities that characterize this time and place, this culture, this era. And if you've lived long enough, you know, those of us who who got some more gray hair, we've seen trends and fashions and, and beliefs and values come and go. Things change. But don't let this moment, this age this generation, this time, this place, this world take you contrary to the eternal ways of God. And sometimes that pressure to conform uh, can, can happen in, in very subtle ways. Uh, this, I always I, I touch on things like this in sermons and I, I always hesitate because I'm not trying to communicate that these are sins in themselves, but they're just part of the the air we breathe, it's the, 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 the water we swim in. You know, you, you, uh, our, our culture, sports are a big thing. I, I will be watching football this fall. I, I will do that. I watch baseball some now, too. Uh, you enjoy sports, whether watching or playing, and that, it's fun. Nothing wrong with it, per se, but, but if it starts to absorb all your time and energy and your imagination and your, your headspace, 
and frankly, your heart space. Uh, you're never going to, maybe you're, you're never going to compete professionally. You're never going to do it, but you're, you, we continue to add more and more programming, more and more. We got fantasy football on top of the football that you have to watch and more and more and more. It's, it's, a, it's a monster that will not be satisfied. Or, or maybe your thing is, uh, you know, you, you love uh, to putter around the house and you like home remodeling shows and that's fun. Nothing wrong with it. Hear me say there's nothing wrong with it. But if you start to feel yourself being sucked in where, you're, where you just realize, you know, you know I'm just dis- dissatisfied. I'm always dissatisfied with what I have, with, with the, even the nice things that you have. But, oh, but it's, not, it's not on trend. It's not, it doesn't look, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not able to welcome people in and, have, and impress people with, with where I live. You become envious of, of those who have, seem to have the picture-perfect lives, and you're, we're slowly, slowly being shaped into beliefs and values and priorities of this day and age. Those are the more, you know, subtle and, and in some ways more innocent ways that we can just start to just take the shape, like, like water takes the shape of its container. We just start to take the shape of the world we live in. And in some, I know, some ways we can't escape that. We can't escape our context. This is where we live. This is our time and our place. But don't let the world conform you to its pattern. Sometimes this happens more forcefully, less subtly and more forcefully. Maybe your teacher or someone from the human resources department says, you need to affirm and celebrate sexual diversity, so to speak to go along with what everyone now agrees is the more enlightened view of gender fluidity. Isn't, isn't this what everybody's saying right now? Or, or maybe in a different uh, way, maybe your boss asks you to cut corners on either quality or safety in order to keep production moving. Hey, we've got, we've got numbers we've got to hit. And, you, and you're feeling like, well, isn't this how the game is played? Isn't this how I get into management? Here's the thing, whether it's something that you barely perceive or something that presses in on you, you have to be aware of what the world is doing to you. And you can't let it. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, if you're only trying to resist the world, you won't hold out for long. Which is why many of us end up sort of sliding and settling into the world's ways. Instead of being conformed to this world, we must be transformed. There is a positive vision that we need. And again, you have the kind of the passive, active thing going on here. We need God to transform us. God is the one who changes us, who gives us this new life, this renewal. And in some sense, we need to pursue that change. I hesitate to say, as I said before, well, uh, the world's trying to uh, shape you, but don't let it. I'm not going to say, God needs to change you, so let God do that. Uh, I have a problem with saying, let God do something. But you know, there is something of that effect. Like, you need, you need to seek God's work in your life. Pursue it. Uh, it's, it's one sense, it's passive. He's got to do it. But another sense, it's not passive. Lay there and wait till God does something in your life. Pursue God's work in your life. Seek it. Pray for it. Ask it. Go after it. How? How, do you, how are you going to do that? Start with what you are feeding your mind. You, you need a renewed mind? Well, how does that happen? What are you feeding your mind? Who are you listening to? Who's shaping your values? Who are your influencers? Whether or not you're spending much time on Instagram or TikTok watching 
influencers. Maybe your influencers are CNN or Fox News. Some, someone is shaping your mind. Now, I firmly believe that God can transform your mind in a moment, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes people come to faith, and it's like a switch is flipped, the light is on, and they just see things differently. They, they see sin for what it is. They see the truth and the lies for what they are, and it's boom. And yet, this verse seems to indicate that even if you are a believer, there's still more work that God wants to do in your life, needs to do. This is, he's talking to believers, and he's challenging them you, you need God's ongoing work in your life to change you, to, to give you a mind for what is true and a mind that resists what is false. So if you're giving, again, start with what are you feeding your mind? If you're giving all your time to YouTube and little to none to God's Word, who do you think is shaping you? I mean, it's, it's, in one sense, it's really simple. Whatever it is, if, if you're listening to all these voices and hardly listening, if, if let me just say, if this, if this little time that we have together is the only time you hear from God, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. I need you to, I want you to be here, of course. I want you to be here regularly. Like, I've got a weekly appointment with God and, and God's people. But I also want you to understand that you need this. How often do the challenges come? How often do, the, do the, the pressures come to conform you? They come every day, multiple times a day. So yeah, you might, daily devotions, that's a good idea. But maybe you need other things that are going to keep God's word in front of you to keep his mercies before you. Maybe whatever you need to do to help that happen. Brothers, sisters, I encourage you. I, I appeal to you. Know what's shaping you. If, if all you're interested in is the latest celebrity gossip or political scandal, but not God's word, I know what's shaping you, and it's not shaping you in the way that God wants. Don't, don't simply think of, of opening the Bible as, well, I'm just going to, I got to read, I got to study, I got to do this as some kind of chore, uh, I got to do this to, to somehow please God. He's, you know, get my check mark for the day. Think of it as, I, I need God's transforming work in my life. I, I, I need this. And then the pressures are coming. The, the world is pushing in on me all the time. I'm swimming in values and priorities that are not yours. And I could be distracted. I, for, I could forget who I am. I could forget who you are. God, oh, open. I, I'm opening your word. I need you to fill my vision again today. That's why, that's why we come back to God's word again and again, to renew our minds. Only he can change you. But I believe this is a call, the way he's, even the way he's wording it, is a call to pursue his change in your life. And that renewed mind is just the beginning. So, verse 2 again, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, or so that, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. This is part four. The will of God. Now, discern and do what God wants from you. This is a good time as we come to the final part of the sermon to show how these two verses at the beginning of chapter 12 
give us a completely different picture than what we were given at the end of chapter 1. And you're like, chapter 1? He expects me to remember. Chapter 1, I think these words will be familiar to you if you know Romans. If you don't, you can go back and look at this this afternoon, the end of chapter 1 compared to the beginning of chapter 2. I'll just give you a few little points. So beginning of chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 18, the end of the first chapter, he says, the wrath of God has revealed, been revealed against all the unrighteousness of men. And here, everything has been based on the, now the mercies of God that has been shown to those who believe. Uh, chapter 1, the human beings in their sin exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here, believers now worship and serve their God truly and rightly as he deserves. Chapter 1, and since they did not, that sinful humanity did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse, or chapter 12, as we rightly acknowledge God, as we give ourselves up to him, God transforms us, giving us a renewed mind, not that debased mind, to discern his will, to do what ought to be done. Now, as we've seen, these two verses here, chapter 12, also play off the end of chapter 11. Who has given a gift to God that he should be repaid? God doesn't need anything. God doesn't owe you anything. But he does deserve everything from you. Put, put your life on the altar. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? You and I cannot fully comprehend his ways. He doesn't need your advice. But he can give you a mind to understand what he wants you to do. See, this does not stop with you knowing what God's will is in your head, as if the whole point is, you know, passing some Bible knowledge exam. You need a renewed mind shaped by God's word to know what God wants in the moment. That's what this testing and discerning is, where you're going, you will, in living in this world, you will come to moments where I don't know what I should do. I don't know what's, I'm not sure if I know what's right. What does God want from me in this moment? But with a continually renewed, transformed mind, he will give you what you need to discern, to see, to understand, okay, no, this is what we're going to do. This is what we must do. And then the power to do that. When you have a renewed mind shaped by God's word to know what God wants, to live according to God's will with the body he gave you and the mind that has been changed that you now offered him, all of you, body, mind, soul, strength, every part of you. And when you do what he wants, when you walk according to his ways, of course he is pleased. We'll see this as we continue on in, in coming weeks as we work our way through the rest of chapter 12 in particular. Paul's not talking here about doing the will of God as in finding the perfect will of God, as if you need to figure out, you know, just the just right decisions to make your life successful and happy. That's not the perfect will of God that he's talking about here. He's, this is just expanding on, in, on what he said in verse 1. In Christ, you are a sacrifice that is acceptable, pleasing to God, and with new life in him, a renewed mind, you can discern and do what pleases God. Or as Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, this is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless 
for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Why do you need discernment? Why do you need knowledge and discernment? So that you may, so that you may approve what is excellent and therefore and thereby so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There it is. Discerning what's right, doing what's right. How? Through Christ. Why? For what? For the glory and praise of God. Now, as I said uh, a moment ago, we'll get into much more detail in the rest of the chapter about doing God's will, obeying God's word. That's how we want to proceed through this chapter that has a lot of of very practical instruction for life as believers, life in the family of believers, in the church. A lot of practical, personal instructions. But let's not close the book today. Let's not, let's not move on to the, to, from this church service, move on to the rest of our day, into our week, our schedule, without considering, is my life on the altar as a gift to God? Or am I given over to the world that's making me walk in its ways? And I understand that's not, that doesn't mean that we're all going to decide today to be uh, preachers and missionaries. That's not, that, I'm not calling you out of uh, your, your job, I'm not calling you out of the responsibilities you have for your family, I'm not calling you out of your sports or your activities, the drama club or whatever you, it is that you do. I'm not calling you out of those things. I'm saying as you go today, are you body and mind on the altar given as a gift to God? In one sense, what you brought, perhaps in in some sense that you came here today and, and you held it as yours. Are you willing to say, this is yours? And without, in one sense, losing everything, and in one sense, taking, walking away with that living sacrifice, you, and wherever you go, this is yours. Can we do that? Only through him, only in his power and his strength, only, only by his mercy can we do it, but I appeal to you. I appeal to you on the mercies of God. Don't walk from here with the attitude that, you know what? This is mine. No, it's all from Him. It's all through Him. And it's all to Him. And while in our our tradition, our evangelical tradition, uh, revivals and like this, this was the altar, you know? Come, Come, bring your life on the altar. And, and uh, I would be perfectly fine. I would be delighted if somebody wants to pray. But folks, this, this is not the altar. This doesn't have to be the altar. You could do that. You could pray. It's like, I need to, today, I need to make a decisive change. But I want you to understand, tomorrow, your life has to be on the altar. Monday morning, it has to be on the altar. And the first day of school, it needs to be on the altar. And when you're, starting retirement, your life has to be on the altar. Today might be a decisive change for you, but, but we're looking for an everyday work of God in your life. Not because we're offering some other sacrifice 
to get us favor with God, to earn our salvation, but just as a gift for all that he's given to us. So I want to pray now. I'm going to, we're going to pray and we're going to close our service just like we always do. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And you can, you can, you can have this moment where you're like, I, this needs to be my altar moment. You can do that right now as I pray. You can, if, if, it, if it speaks to you to do that after the service up here at front, there's nothing special about this place. But if you need, but if you need to do something today, it will be a holy place but it can be holy wherever you make that altar. And I pray that you would do that. I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Father, we're asking that we not be unmoved by your mercy. Would you move us? Would you show us more of your grace more of your kindness so that it becomes so that our worship becomes something of a, a joyful surrender. Lord, you know where we are, each of us, where our hearts are. And as a, as a person speaking right now, I'm, I'm not looking to twist anybody's arm or to make anybody uh, do something that they're not ready to do. But God, I, I know there are, there are lives that need to be surrendered here today. Even among believers. That's who Paul's talking to. God, would you not let us be content to, to console ourselves to think, well, I got, I got my ticket for heaven and that's enough. God, I don't want, let us not be content with that. Let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we have that and that's it. God, may we be individually and together a gift that pleases you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we...